Praise God. Praise God. Hey, let's go to uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 20 this morning. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And uh, we're going to read verses uh, actually 1 through 23. Uh, we got a lot that we're going to read here right now. Praise God. I love this passage of Scripture. 2 Chronicles 20. Verses 1 through 23. We're going to get into this uh, today. Ah, yes, God. It happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others uh, with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazazon Tamar, which is in Jedi. Uh, that sounds like something off of Star Wars, don't it? And uh, I'm just saying, I don't know why they couldn't name things easy like the town I'm from. It's called Polka. I don't know why they couldn't give them names like that. But anyhow, uh, and Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, uh, they came to seek the Lord. The Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever, and they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now, here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O Lord, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Now all Judah with their little ones, their wives and their children, they stood before the Lord. And then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jeel, the son of Mattaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down. Everyone say, go down. Yeah, you'll, you'll, hear the, you'll get this later. Tomorrow, go down against them. They have surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jerul. You will not need to fight in this battle, but position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. Yeah. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them. For the Lord is with you. Tell somebody real quick, the Lord is with you. Yeah. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. 
So they rose early in the morning and they went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you shall be established. Believe his prophets and you will prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army. And they were saying, Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. Ah, we're going to stop reading right there this morning. I want to get into this today. Uh, this, this passage of Scripture, uh, honestly, I didn't, uh, I didn't want to uh, preach this one this morning. I, I wanted to preach something else. You know, sometimes when you go and preach other places, uh, sometimes you like to break out your polished sermon. You, you like to break out the ones that have the best points and the ones that uh, you can use the biggest words on to really impress people. Uh, but that's not my assignment today, and that's not what God would let me do. Uh, but we're going we're gonna to break this thing down, and we're just going to really get into this passage of Scripture because I believe there's some truth uh, that's going to help you out today. I believe that today is a significant day for your life. I believe that today is a significant day in the kingdom. And I believe that there's some things that you've been fighting up until now that after today you're not going to have to fight anymore. I believe there's some enemies that you've been facing up until now that by the time you leave this place this morning, you're going to have to fight those things any longer. And so here we go here. Uh, let's, let's dig into this. We're looking at, at Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, and they were surrounded by their enemies. Now, there's a couple things that you've got to look at here, and, and one of the things I understand is, is we don't fight battles necessarily the way they fought battles then. Uh, unless you're in the bloods and the crypts, you don't fight like Jehoshaphat was about to fight them. But watch this. We all got battles to fight. We all have battles to fight. And watch, watch, we all have enemies. Whether, whether we deal with Satan directly, whether we deal with his imps, or whether we deal with the people that he sent on assignment to your life, everybody's got some enemies that you deal with. And I believe that sometimes we feel like Jehoshaphat here, that he was, it said that they were surrounded. They, the enemy was all around. They, they were facing, watch this, they were facing a situation that was greater than them. They were facing a challenge that was greater than what they were. They were facing enemies that were bigger than them, that were stronger than them. There was more of them, and they were surrounded. Now, we might not be facing the Ammonites today, but I believe that there's times in our life where we're surrounded. We feel like everything around us, and we feel like the enemy that is around us is always greater than, than who we are. The other thing that I think is interesting about this is it said that there was three different nations that came together against Judah. Now watch this. Here's the interesting thing about it, and this might help some of y'all out here real quick. The nations that came together against Judah, they didn't even like each other. But they got along enough to try to come against Judah. Isn't it amazing how sometimes that people that don't even like each other will get together long enough just to try to come against you? Ooh, Lord. But watch, that's always going to work in your favor because if they didn't like each other before, even though they come together to come against you, it's still not going to work because eventually they're going to end up fighting each other. Yeah, eventually they'll turn against each other. And so, so they were surrounded by people that didn't like them, but they were surrounded by people that didn't even like each other. Lord Jesus. 
And so watch this. I love the fact that verse 3 tells us Jehoshaphat's response. His response was, it said, and King Jehoshaphat feared. Now, I don't love the fact that he was fearful, but I love the fact that it encourages me that if the king of Judah and Jerusalem got fearful, then I understand that sometimes I'm in good company. Yeah, sometimes I'm in good company because, let's be honest, at some point in time, you've been faced with a situation that brought fear to your life. You've been faced with something that, that when you first heard the news or when you was first dealt that blow or when it first came into your life, immediately you were gripped with fear. I'd like to tell you that everyone in here, as soon as you get faced with something, that you just immediately go into faith, faith mode and start dancing around your house and speaking in tongues. But sometimes I think that's probably not your first response. And here is Jehoshaphat that it says that, that he feared. Here's what you've got to understand here. Uh, fear isn't necessarily the problem. How we respond to fear is. Being fearful is not the problem. It's when we allow fear to grip us and take over our life. That's when the problem starts. Because the Bible tells us that fear is not our portion as a child of God. Because we've not been given a spirit of fear, but we've given power, love, and of a sound mind. And so fear is never our portion. Fear might come, but you've got to understand as a child of God, fear cannot stay. Oh, Lord. So the enemy would love nothing more than to grip us with fear because if he can grip us with fear, then he can keep us paralyzed from pursuing after him. And he can keep us paralyzed from walking in the things of God that he has called for us. Look again, fear is not the problem, but our response to fear is. Jehoshaphat, watch this, he had the right response. He had the right response. It said that he began to seek God and he began to pray. Look, immediately in verse 3 it said that he feared, but then the next word said, but he set himself to seek the Lord. If you want a remedy to fear, I'm telling you, the remedy to fear is to seek after God with everything that you have. Because it's impossible to seek after God and get close to God and still operate in fear at the same time. And so he set himself to seek the Lord and watch, not only did he seek God, but he began to pray and it said that he proclaimed a fast throughout all the land. Now, I grew up around some old school saints that believed in fasting and praying. I know I look young, but don't let this baby face fool you. I grew, right there, I grew up around them old saints that would keep you at the altar till three hours until they thought you were delivered. They beat you in the back of the head, scream, holler, speak in tongues, shout, cry. And if you didn't cry enough, they would shake you until you started crying the way they thought you ought to cry. We didn't believe in repentance. We believed in crying and rolling around. And they beat you in the back of the head with the Bible if they thought it was going to work. You leave off the altar crying, greasy, oil all over your head. I'm just saying, that's how, that's how I grew up. That's, that's how I grew up. <laughs> I think I got some witnesses in the building. You understand exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. And it said that he began, he began to fast. And as they began to fast, he also, uh, he also began to pray. He also began to cry out to God. Uh, there's some things about this prayer that I think is interesting, and I broke it down into a few points. When Jehoshaphat began to pray, here's how he broke this prayer down. Number one, he began to talk about who God is. He immediately began to talk about who God is. The second thing is, is he started to talk about what God has done. Then he began to talk about who we are, and then he talked about what we have done. I love this. I love this because he's starting to connect with God. So immediately he begins to pray. And as he begins to pray, it says that he begins to cry out, and he says, O Lord God of our fathers, 
Watch this. Are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is not power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people? Look at this. Immediately, he began to declare who God was. He said, are you not the God of heaven? Are you not the God that has all power? Are you not the God that has declared that there is no enemy that's able to withstand you? That there is no other God in all of the earth that is greater than you? There is no other God that is mightier than you? Are you not the God that made all of this? Look at this. He wasn't saying it because God forgot who he was. God had not forgot who he was. You got to understand though, when it begins to come out of your mouth, it also gets in your ears. And as it comes out of your mouth and it gets in your ears, then faith comes alive because God already knows who he is. God does not need us to tell him who he is, but when we begin to declare who God is, it changes something on the inside of us. It changes something in our spirit because when you're faced with situations like that, when you begin to declare things like, look, I know I'm surrounded, but God, you're still God. You still have all power. You're still the God of heaven and earth. You're still the God that no one is able to withstand you. You're still the God. Look, he said, you're the God that drove these inhabitants out of the land. And I believe what he was saying is, is if you drove them out the first time, then I believe that you can drive them out when I'm facing them again. You're the God that's delivered me before. And if you could deliver me then, then I know you're the God that's able to deliver me now. Sometimes you've got to remind yourself that you're the God that healed me then and you're still the God that still heals. You're the God that delivered then and I believe that you're the God that still provides. Oh, Lord, you're the God that made a way when there was no way and if you did it then, then I know for a fact if you're the same yesterday, today, and forever, you can still do it now because you're still God. You still sit on the throne. You still have all power. You're still King of kings and Lord of lords and there is no one that is able to withstand you. Yeah. He begins to talk about the greatness of your God. Sometimes when you're faced with fear, you've got to begin to talk about the greatness of your God, not the greatness of what you're surrounded by. And he started to say, look, you drove out the inhabitants of this land. You're our God. Watch, you're not their God, you're our God. And you drove them out, watch this, you drove them out before your people Israel, and I love this, and he said, and you gave it to the descendants of Abraham, and he had to throw this in there, your friend. I love it. He wasn't just talking about anybody. He said, God, look, uh, we came from your friend. <laughs> what was he saying? Look, he was saying, God, we have a covenant with you. And the covenant that we have with you says, you'll bless those that bless us. The covenant that we have with you says you'll curse those that curse us. And essentially he was saying we're about to face a group of people that's trying to curse us. So now, God, this is your time to honor your covenant. This is your time to honor the word that you have already spoken because God is not a man that he should lie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and so he then begins to talk about who we are. We're descendants of Abraham. God, we have a covenant with you. Lord, you didn't bring us into this land for us to lose it now. God, you did not bring me into this promise to let somebody take it from me. Oh, Lord. You see, some of you got to understand, God did not give you a promise for the enemy to take it from you. If God gave you the promise, the promise is yours. But sometimes you got to understand, you're going to have to fight for what God has put in your life. 
Yeah, God, you gave it to me. I'm not about ready to let the enemy steal it out of my life. Yeah, and so, and so he said, you're the God, and we've built you a temple for your presence and for your name. This is what we have done, God. We, we built a temple for you that you said your name is there. And if your name is there, your presence is there. And we understand that if we've got your name and we've got your presence, then there's no enemy that shall be able to stand against us. Ooh, Lord, yes. You see, I, I told you I grew up around old school saints, but the old school saints that I grew up around, they understood the power in the name of Jesus. They understood that they could just get into the presence of God and start calling out the name of Jesus. I grew around some folks, they didn't know how to pray elaborate prayers. Some of them weren't even educated. But when they got in the presence of God, they would just start crying out, Jesus, 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 Jesus. And people start getting delivered and people start getting healed. Why? Because the presence and the name was there. Oh, I got to go on. I got to go on. And so he begins to pray now. And, and watch this. He talks about who God is, what God's done, who we are, what we did. And then he begins to pray. But in verse 12, he makes this declaration and he says this. He said, God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude. And we don't know what to do. Maybe some of you may be in that situation right now. If you're not right now, I guarantee you, you've been there at some point in time. Lord, I have no power against this problem, and I don't know what to do. But he makes this declaration. He said, but our eyes are on you. Our eyes are on you. Watch this. How do we keep our eyes on Jesus when we can't see him? I'm glad you asked. We follow the prayer that Jehoshaphat gave us. The first thing that he did, the first way that we keep our eyes on him, even though we can't see him, is through our prayer and our fasting. Prayer and fasting sharpens your discernment. When you pray and when you fast, it sharpens your discernment because real fasting crucifies your flesh. And if anything screams out the loudest, it's your flesh. I hate to burst some of your bubbles, but I hear people sometimes say, I'm fasting my cell phone. That's not fasting. I'm, I'm, I'm fasting, I'm, I'm fasting Gray's Anatomy. That's not fasting. When you do away with things like that, that's called consecration because you're working on your mind. Fasting literally deals with pushing back the plate and denying our flesh and crucifying our flesh. And so he began to fast and pray. Fasting sharpens your spiritual discernment, just like sharpening an ax will cause you to chop down a tree faster. A woodsman was once asked about uh, chopping down a tree, and he said, I'm going to spend, if I've got five minutes, I'm going to spend two and a half sharpening my axe. Because time spent sharpening my axe is time spent that I don't have to swing it. Some of us are fighting battles because we've got a dull axe. And there's things that God has called us to chop down, and we're spending more effort than we should. Oh, Lord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. F prayer and fasting. How else can we keep our focus on Jesus? I know this is kind of basic Sunday school stuff, prayer, fasting. But the second way we keep our focus on Jesus is through his word. Jesus Christ is the word of God. And if we want to keep our focus on the word, then we've got to keep our focus in the word. The next thing I'll tell you that we keep our focus on him is through our worship. Why is that? Because watch this. Whatever you worship always gets your focus. Whatever you worship always gets your focus. So where your worship goes, your attention goes too. 
So when we begin to worship him, our attention goes to him and we keep our eyes on him because it's impossible to worship and focus on something else at the same time. Yeah, so our eyes are on you. We're praying, we're fasting, we're in your word, we're worshiping. And as they were in this moment, all of a sudden now, God begins to declare a word. God begins to prophesy uh, through Jehaziel. And, and watch this, verse 16, this is what I like. Verse 16, after he tells them, don't be afraid, don't be dismayed because of the great multitude. This battle is not yours, but God's. Verse 16, he says, look, tomorrow go down against them. Again, everybody say, go down. Why is that important? Because you got to understand that your enemies are always beneath you. Yeah, your enemies are always beneath you. Satan is always beneath you. You have already been positioned in Christ above the enemy, and so your enemy is always beneath you. I love that, I love that. It may not always seem like it, but you gotta understand your enemy is always beneath you. And you got to understand is even though it might seem that the enemy is more and mightier, Lord Jesus, they are never greater. Even though it might seem like Satan and his demons and his people working for him are more and mightier, I promise you, you might feel like you're outnumbered, but you're never not greater. I, I, I'm, not, uh, I'm not a mathematician. I don't like math, but I'm going to give you a real quick equation that I think is going to help you out. Are you ready? This is real simple. This is kindergarten math because that's, uh, yeah, I probably need 097 uh, in college. And so um, watch this. God plus you equals greater. That's simple math. But you've got to understand, regardless of what you're facing, always God plus you equals greater. Because if God be for you, ah, I got word people, you already know that. When if God be for you, who in the world dare be against you? God plus you always equals greater. And so on the next morning, they rose up and Jehoshaphat begins to speak. And he says, oh, Judah, you inhabitants of Jerusalem. He says, believe in your God and you will be established. Believe his prophets and so shall you prosper. I got to touch this real quick because there's a lot of people in church. They believe God, but they don't want to believe his prophets. So there are a lot of people that have been established, but they've never prospered. They've been established in the faith, ah, but they've never prospered in their life because believe God and you'll be established, but believe his prophets and you will prosper. You see, you've got to understand the power of the prophetic word. The power of the prophetic word might tell you to do stuff that doesn't make sense, but when you're obedient, it always brings a prosperity to your life. And immediately when I say prosper, everybody is thinking about your wallet and your pocketbook right now. Look. It may include your wallet and your pocketbook, but when you look at the word prosperity, it literally talks about being wealthy. It means being healthy. It talks about being whole. It talks about having peace. When he's talking about prosperity, this word prosperity is also connected to the same word in the New Testament that means to be saved. And to be saved means that your whole spirit, soul, and body. God's not just interested in one part of you. He's interested in all of you being whole. 
So he said, believe and you will be established. Believe his prophets, you will prosper. And it said that he had consulted with the people and he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and praise the beauty of holiness. And it said that they went out singing, (laughs) praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Now, I don't know about you, but this was a prophetic word that really made no sense in the natural. They are going to battle. And King, well, let me say it like this. Pastor Jehoshaphat said, uh, I'm going to send the praise team, so y'all just hold up. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was the worship leader, I was going to be, oh, Lord. Jehoshaphat. I hope he heard God on this one. You know, I, I like those old bow and arrow shooting movies. You know, them Robin Hood type. I like those movies where, you know, they got those big cranes that swing them boulders that are on fire and just, you know, whatever. I like, that's what I would want to see go first. Send the boulder throwers before I start singing. Send those dudes first. How about you at least throw some spears first with the little fire on the end of the arrow? Help me out a little bit. Come on now. But that wasn't the word of God. And so instead of sending out his best generals and his best army, King Jehoshaphat sends out the praise team. Oh, Jesus. Why? They already had a word this battle is not ours. They already had a word that said, you're not going to need to fight. He said, watch. He said, we got to go back. He said, position yourselves in verse 17. Look at somebody, tell them, say, position yourself. Position yourself. Why? You'll win more battles when you're in the right position than you will anything else. He said, position yourself. And so their position was a posture of worship. Their position was a posture of praise. And he said, send the praise team. Lord Jesus. Send the praise team. And as the praise team goes out, all I need you to say is praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. I like that word praise there because it's an interesting word. That word praise literally means thanksgiving. Oh, Lord. Uh, Back home, I've been preaching about praise and worship forever, it seems like. Uh, And there's an order that God has established. He said, I will enter his gates with, I will enter into his courts with, which tells me I cannot go any further in God unless I first establish thanksgiving. Even the tribe of Judah, which Judah comes from this same word yada in the Hebrew that means to give thanks with an extended hand. Even Judah was positioned right in front of the entrance of the tabernacle. God does not make any mistakes. So if I'm going to proceed further in God, I have to establish thanksgiving. So literally, watch this, the praise team is getting ready to go out to the fight of their life. And instead of throwing flaming boulders... And instead of arrows and spears, they're giving God thanks. When they were in a situation that they were surrounded, they were thanking God. Look, not because they won. They were thanking God before they won. They were giving thanks not because they had already seen victory. They were giving thanks because ultimately God had already promised victory. 
And so they begin to go out and they begin thanking God because his mercy endures forever. They were praising God and thanking God when they didn't have a reason to. They were praising God and thanking God when they should have gotten beat. They were praising God and thanking God when by all natural situations they should have been defeated. Watch this. I'm going to give you something real quick. Praise is a physical act with spiritual results. Because when we begin to praise God, and it, it, it's something physical, we got to understand when, when, when Pastor uh, Dalton and when uh, Rory and with the worship team, when they're trying to get everybody to praise God, it's not because we're trying to get movement, it's because we understand once we start the movement, there's some spiritual transaction that starts taking place. That when we begin to give God thanks, there's things that start moving in the spirit that aren't going to move any other time. That's why God looked at, at, at Joshua and said, look, when you go up uh, to Jericho, I'm just, look, I'm going do it differently. I don't want you to throw arrows. I don't want you to throw boulders. All I need you to do is shout. And when you begin to shout, your shout might be something physical, but I'm going to do something in the spirit because your obedience in the natural. He said, when you begin to thank God, when you don't have any reason to thank God, it does something to the enemy because the enemy thinks that when he surrounds you, it's going to shut you up. The enemy thinks when he surrounds you, it's going to stop your praise. But when you begin to magnify God when you're surrounded, it confuses the enemy. It does stuff in the spirit that Satan can't figure out when we begin to thank God, even when we don't have good reason to. Oh, Lord. And it said, as they begin to go forth, praising God and giving thanks for his mercy endures forever. Remember, I said the enemy didn't like each other to start with. And it tells us then, oh Lord, I'm about to finish, I promise, I love this. It tells them then, in verse 22, when they began to sing and praise. You got to understand God did not start moving until they started praising. God did not start working until they opened up their mouth and started praising. And as they began to sing and to praise, it said the Lord, everyone say the Lord. The Lord began to set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir. And it said that the people of Ammon knocked, and Moab knocked off the people of Mount Seir. And once they knocked them off, they began to knock each other off. Oh, Lord. As they watch, as they begin to praise, watch this, there was confusion in the enemy's camp. As they begin to give God thanks, it brought confusion to the camp of the enemy. And watch this, the battle that they should have had to fight in the natural, God took care of it in the spiritual. And all they had to do was stay faithful and give God thanks, even when they didn't have good reason to. Whew. And so watch this, watch this. So they killed each other off, and I didn't continue reading, but here's what you got to understand. After they killed each other off, guess what was left? The cattle, the sheep, the gold, the silver. Watch this. After they thanked God when there was no reason, the wealth of the wicked was transferred to them, and they didn't even have to work for it. All they had to do was stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. All they had to do was stay thankful in a season when they had no reason to be thankful, and God did things for them that they
they can never do for themselves. And the last thing I'm going to say this morning, and I'm going to bring your pastor up, is if you can stay thankful when you don't have reason to stay thankful, when you can bless God when you don't have reason to bless God, when you can give God thanks when it feels like everything around you is coming against you, when you can give thanks when it feels like you're surrounded and it feels like the enemy has the upper hand, if you can stay thankful to thank God and to bless God and keep your focus on God in spite of it all, God will fight battles for you that you will never have to fight and God will fix stuff for you that you won't have to worry about. All you've got to do is stay thankful in giving thanks.